for a minute and just take a, a big picture look at the, the New Testament, at the story of redemption, at what all of this is about, about what, why, are we, uh, why are we Christians, what do we believe, what's going on here. And you see, the, the thing that we need to understand before we can talk about spiritual gifts is the fact that even though Christ is not here physically, He's still here among us. He's still here among us. Even though He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, even though He intercedes for us to the Father, He's still working. And as we employ our spiritual gifts, as we understand this topic of spiritual giftedness, and we operate in the gifts that God's given us for His purpose and glory, it's as if Jesus never left. You see, that's the whole point of Jesus saying, listen, it's going to be better for you if I leave, which wouldn't make any sense any other way. How could it possibly imagine the disciples in that moment thinking, what do you mean? How could anything be better than having you with us? And what could be better than having you with us is having you within all of us. And so these gifts, Jesus is the only one that has all these spiritual gifts. All the spiritual gifts that exist were embodied in Jesus. Now, we are clearly not Jesus. So none of us have all the spiritual gifts. But what the Bible has taught us through this study is that each of us has been gifted. We've been gifted in a unique way. I've told you that the, there's, there's, there's so much here to think about. But just understanding that you don't just have one spiritual gift. You have a spiritual gifting. And it may look like one particular gift, but even two people with the same spiritual gift, if you will, is, it's going to function differently. It's a gifting. It's different. It's unique. And so if you have your listening guide, we're, we're understanding that God's goal in the body of Christ, in the church, functioning as the physical manifestation of Jesus on earth. That's His goal. His goal is for us to function as the manifestation of Him on earth. And so we say things like we are the hands and feet. And the reason we say we're the hands and feet is because, you know, hands and feet are just the practical way that we understand that. But really we're the kidneys and the liver. We're the esophagus and the tongue and the toes and the all of that. And we function together. Because honestly, everybody's going to be creeped out if just two hands and two feet show up at their door. That's just going to be super weird, right? Yeah.
So see, when we use our gifts, what happens is it makes Christ accessible today. So how does this process work? First thing I had to do is, as I was studying through this, this is one of those conversations that I've completely overthought because I've just been thinking about this for months. First thing I had to do is I had to think about my own journey. How did this work in my life? How, were, how did I discover my gifts? Then I had to talk to other people. How were your gifts discovered? How were your gifts discovered? How did this work? How did this work? And then I kept balancing that back and forth with Scripture, making sure that I could present this in a way that would make sense to you. And I believe that these four things, it's really not four steps, it's just four things, but they're in order. And you cannot change the order because if you change the order, it, it, it just won't work, okay? So here's where you begin. You say, I want to know how God has uniquely gifted me. Okay, the first thing that you have to do is you have to be available. You have to, you have to embrace availability. And I would put out to the side, no agenda. And a lot of people who come to God wanting to know how they're gifted, wanting to be used by God end up operating in their own ability and strength, basically operating in the flesh, which ultimately just leads to frustration. And the reason is because they come with an agenda. Now let's look at Romans 12 and look at exactly how Paul leads us into this. We ended with these verses last week. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's your reasonable service. So we're not a dead sacrifice. This isn't a one-time thing. See, we, we one time come to Christ in salvation, holy, available. God, I come to you. I, I relinquish all to you. I make you my king. You're my Lord. I, I give my life to follow you. But it's not just that, it's a continual sacrifice that we are continually available to God without agenda. And this is critically important because, listen, you can't, if you miss step one, forget two, three, and four, it's pointless. It's just pointless. Pointless. See, when we ask the question, how do we grow in our gifts? It's not, this isn't a skill or an ability. You, you, don't, you don't grow in your giftedness like you grow in playing the trumpet. It doesn't work like that. You grow in your giftedness by this posture of availability. Because you and me don't know how God has gifted us. We don't know. You don't know. You've got to be open to whatever God wants to do. You've got to, you've got to realize that, that God has a plan and a purpose and that it's the best possible thing for you. 
So we're going to grow in the wielding of our spiritual gift as we grow in our yielding to the Spirit of God. You see, the use of the spiritual gift comes in the yielding to the one who gives them. That's how you, that's how you move forward. That's how you're going to develop. That's how you're going to figure this out. That's how these things are going to happen. So the reason, now listen, I love you. I want to help you. The reason why so many people, listen, and I know this to be true. I know there's, a, there's some of you in here and you just, you feel unusable. You don't feel like you have anything to offer. And that breaks my heart. Because it's so not true. But listen, one of the reasons why that happens so oftentimes is because you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit and you've, you've made a pattern in your life of not responding. That's a very dangerous thing to do. And so if that's the case, it's not the end of the world. It's just this morning, realize, own the fact that you do that and stop doing that because that is, that is the epitome of not being available. Listen to the Holy Spirit. When He nudges you, follow through. Don't let that pattern develop in your life because the Spirit of God... Stops nudging. It doesn't mean he'll never nudge again. It just means that, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just know that to be a fact. You're not going to grow spiritually without being in step with the Spirit. It's just not going to work any other way. And so when we do look at verse 2, so don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You'll prove. So these spiritual gifts are, they're an expression of the Holy Spirit. And they're given for the accomplishment of the Father's will. Because remember, whatever Jesus embodied, well, Jesus was about the Father's mission, right? He, he remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. And so... All the characteristics of Him that live in us submit to the will of the Father. So any, any attempt to use them outside of the will of the Father is it's just incompatible because that's not what they do. That's not what they're for. See, a spiritual gift is not just a spiritual ability. There's a lot of th abilities that people bring into the church that look like you know, they're spiritual because you can use them in the context of the church. But that's not what we're talking about. A spiritual gift is a spiritual ability given by God for a purpose. It's for a purpose. It's not just for me and you to have. It's for a purpose. It's very, very important to realize this reality. And so when you start to think about all the things that the Bible says... And you start realizing 
that we're all ministers. Every single person in this room who's saved is a minister. You're a minister of the gospel, and your ministry is through your spiritual giftedness. When the church starts to believe the heresy that only certain special people are ministers, that's when the whole thing falls apart and breaks down. That is completely unbiblical. Every single saved person is a minister. And your ministry assignment is through your gifting. So you have to, you have to, you have to pursue this. You have to figure this out. But step one is the realization that God only accepts checks that are blank. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about pursuing your giftedness. Blank checks. You sign the check. You slide it over to God. He'll take it. You write in the amount. This is what I'm willing to do, God. This is how far I'm willing to go, God. This is how much I'm willing to spend, God. This is how much I'm... Well, then forget it. He's not interested in that. It, won't, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Whenever I share my testimony, I always tell the story of the first time I ever went to the altar. You've probably all heard this multiple times. I never, you know, didn't grow up in church, didn't know church, wasn't, didn't anything. And I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm listening to the pastor preach and all these things are going on in my mind and I'm trying to figure all this out. And suddenly I just felt this overwhelming compulsion, this realization that, you know, this whole place operates because all these people do all these things and they just do them. And see, when you when you're out, when you've never been in church before, that's a very mind-blowing thing because everywhere you've ever been in your life, everyone did all these things because they get paid to. And then you come in the church and you're like, this is crazy. And so when the invitation came now, you know, whew, this version of Tony is not a version that very many of you ever met. And so I would not do anything that would ever draw attention to myself, ever. And I was petrified just to go down the altar and kneel down and pray. I went down the altar, I knelt down, and I said, God, I don't know what you want me to do, but whatever it is, if you show me, I'll do it. And then I got up and I went back to my seat, and I meant that with all of my heart. I had no agenda. I had no idea what that even meant or what God might do, but I literally meant it because I knew that God wanted to do something with me because he wants to do something with everyone. It's a blank check. So once you understand that, then here's what happens. The second thing comes into play, the second phase, which is opportunity, which we've been talking about. Now, if availability 
has no agenda. Opportunity has no limits. It's not opportunity to do things that you like or things that you feel comfortable in or things that you've done before or whatever the case may be. You walk through the door of opportunity in the church. You jump in and you just start serving somewhere. You just start. It doesn't mean you're going to stay there. It doesn't mean that's the one thing you're always going to do. You just start somewhere. You just find a place. You start somewhere. You just let things direct you. God has this amazing way of getting you where he wants you to be. You just trust him in the process. But we jump in. That's what we do. We don't wait on the sidelines to figure out our spiritual gift. It doesn't work like that. You just start somewhere. Discovery always comes through the context of serving. I told you that. I mean, you know, in that moment, I had no clue. And some stranger comes up and taps me on the shoulder and said, Hey, is your name Tony? Would you be willing to teach a Sunday school class? I mean, come on. I, I don't. I can't teach a Sunday school class. I don't know anything. But not only that, you know, fifth grade boys, what, are you insane? Like, you, you wouldn't want, you don't want me around your fifth grade boys. It would be bad. But that's what I did. And I, I figured everything out about myself, or at least a lot of, in the context of just serving. In a, in a, I would have never in a million years ever signed up to do that, ever thought never would that have ever happened. But there was a need. Someone asked me, maybe there's a need. You see, when you see a need, why did you see it? See, sometimes I see needs and then I pray for you to see them. See, sometimes, let me help some of you. I'm driving, leaving my office, and I think, does anybody else see all those weeds in the flower bed? Do we all just... You see what I mean? They're there. Some of you see it, but you keep driving too. Some of you are like, I didn't even know we had a flower bed. See, well, okay. Scripture nowhere commands, think about this, nowhere does the Bible command us to discover our gift. Isn't that crazy? We're commanded to use it, not commanded to find it. So what the Bible's telling us is that God takes responsibility for revealing what it is. That's, it's not our job. It's our job to just start. And then God takes care of the rest. Just use it. Just <laughs> and you're going, well, how can I use it if I don't know what it is? Do something. Just start serving somewhere. Do something. Look at verse 3. For by grace, the grace given to me, I say... To everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We all have a tendency, all of us have a tendency to have an overinflated view of ourselves. In one way or the other, now, it's not always positive, but in one direction or the other, we seem to blow it out of proportion. And so when it comes to serving God, here's what we do. We just, we just evaluate, well, what they think, well, what do I like and what am I good at? And then we serve in the flesh because we're just doing what we want to do. That's not a blank check. That's not just saying, God, here I am. We end up just going forward and languishing in our own perceived strengths and ability. And when that happens, see, we don't need, we don't need to rely on God. We don't need God's supernatural gifting. And so what happens is the best part, like if that's you this morning, the best part of you is dormant. It's dormant. That's terrible. So when we're coming to church, we should always ask the question, well, whose needs am I putting before my own today? All of us should come to church. All of us, every single person should come to church always conscious of whose needs you're putting before yourself. See, for some of you, that could be just as simple as you know, I'm going to get to church and I, I'm going to find somebody and tell them that, you know, good morning. It's glad to, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. But that's, that's something. But what you don't want to do is come to church thinking about yourself. That is a disaster. Because it, what it does is it will... It will barricade community, see? Because true community happens through seized opportunity. That's how that happens. Now, a lot of you in the room know this. I'm going to show you how this is, and you already know this to be true because you experience it. See, when we approach church from a consumer mindset, when we come to church, focus on what we're going to get. Oh, I hope this... I hope the sermon is good. Oh, I hope the sermon is short. Too bad. I hope the community group is this. I hope, so, I hope so-and-so's bringing snacks. I hope, I hope, I hope. Well, what it does, it puts you in a mode of self-focus which hinders community. Because, listen, it, it's just common sense. People grow in community when? What, what causes you... A lot of you would say, man, I'm in community. I love the community I'm in. Well, what causes you to grow in community? The reason you grow in community is because you feel loved in community. Well, guess what? You can't feel loved in a room full of self-focused people. Though if you are in community right now and you love your community, it's because you're in a group with people who are not self-focused. Now, if you've ever been in a, with a group of people where everyone in the group is not self-focused, then you know what amazing, unbelievable community is. 
because it's unbelievable. It's just so unbelievably overwhelming. It's so great. Notice in the latter part of verse 3, think with sober judgment. Think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, you have to understand, you got to think and be self-aware when it comes to this issue of opportunity. See, everyone, like I said, we all have a tendency to over-inflate when we think about ourselves in one direction or the other. So if you over-inflate, if you have high self-esteem, if you will, which is probably not the way I would normally say that, well, see, if you think a lot of yourself, then you think, well, I don't need anybody. But if you think a little bitty of yourself, then you think, well, nobody needs me. And both block community. See, both of those two mindsets block community. I don't need anybody or nobody needs me. Because they're both self-focused. See, to offer something, you got to have something. Right? So what do you have? Something? You got something. So you start, you move into opportunity with just a, an awareness of yourself. It's not overinflated, thinking too much of yourself, and it's not overinflated, thinking too little of yourself. You think soberly. So you come with a blank check available. And you're open with no limits to move into opportunity, whatever they may be, whatever the needs are. Then we get to maybe the most complicated one. And that's the third phase, which is confirmation. And confirmation is unsolicited. It's very important that you understand that. The importance of confirmation. Now look at verse 4. I'll explain it. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. See that? Uniqueness. Verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members one of another. So in two verses we have these two realities working together at the same time. In verse 4 we see... Who we are, which is uniquely gifted individuals. And then in verse 5, we see who we belong to, which is a spiritual family. So we're uniquely gifted, yet we belong to each other. So those two things in the world seem like they don't go together. But spiritually, they perfectly fit together. Because the, the, once we move into opportunity, the way that we're going to figure out what our assignment is, is through the confirmation of the family. You see, the best way, I want to say the only way, but I can't, but I want to. The best way, the absolute best way. The people in this room right now who know beyond a shadow of a doubt how God's gifted them, then I'm about to tell you how they know that. Because the way you know that is somebody else pointed that out to you, about you. They 
they served alongside of you and they were like, wow, you're really good at that. You're really gifted at this. You, I noticed that when this happened, you did this, you should try that. But how will someone point it out to you if you're not serving? They won't. Because they can't. So it'll never happen. You cannot, you cannot, 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 cannot find out how God's gifted you without confirmation. And it has to be unsolicited. Because if it's solicited, then it's false and inappropriate. So what we have is people who are sitting in a pew. And they want to take a test to find out their spiritual gift. They want to do an assessment. Because they're looking for some identity or understanding. So you want information. So you, you feel like if you take a spiritual gifts test, it's going to give you some information. And then you can decide whether or not you want to proceed forward. Well, that won't work. A spiritual gifts test can certainly be helpful, but not in that way. Not in that way. You should already be taking advantage of opportunity before you endeavor to start looking into any kind of assessment. And then when other people say, wow, you're really good at that, realize that's a recognition of God working through you. It's because we're a spiritual family. We live together. We do life together. See, we, that means that there's going to be a lot of opportunities to serve each other. Just like in a real family, right? You live together with your family and there's lots of opportunities. In other words, you know, the trash doesn't stop. The laundry doesn't stop. The cooking doesn't stop. The grass mowing doesn't stop. It's ongoing opportunities, right, in the family. Well, it's the same way in a big family. Same way. And so there's going to be lots of opportunities to confirm each other. I would say that every time I get back from a mission trip, I'm pretty sure how all the members on that team are gifted. Now, not everybody, because there's exceptions to that. I mean, there's sometimes where people aren't, you know, it's just not visible. But that's rare, I would say, because we've spent a lot of time together serving in close proximity, and so it's very obvious how God's gifted them in that environment. But because we're a family, and because that's true, look at verse 5. So we, through though many... are one body in Christ, individual members of one another. 
So next slide, you'll have to advance me. In a family, conflict is normal, but it's never final. Conflict is normal, but it's never final. See, what happens is we come to... It's, there's a pattern. Like, you know, people come to church and there's like a honeymoon phase. And, you know, they're like, oh, everybody's nice here and this is great. And, you know, I like this and I like that and things are good. And, but you hang around long enough. And then somebody's going to hurt your feelings. And maybe they'll hurt your feelings before I do. That's the hope anyway. But somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Somebody's going to say something you don't like. Somebody's not going to do something you want them to do. And then, then what are you going to do? Then you're going to make a decision. Are you part of a family? See, what, what, happens, when, what happens in your family? Every time there's conflict, does somebody just leave the family? Well, No. It's not final. But if you tell me, well, pastor, there's no conflict in my family, you're lying. If somebody says there's no conflict in my church, you're lying. See, that's not true. So we're going to function as a body. We're going to function as a family. We know there's going to be conflict, but we're going to work through it. And how are we going to work through it? Through the use of spiritual gifts. See, our, our, the unique gifts that we have, God's provided the solution to any of the problems that we're going to face because God already knows and so he's gifted us. But so the, the greater degree that we're all using our spiritual gifts, the greater degree to which we're going to operate in unity together. So next slide, opportunity without confirmation though in community can lead to calamity. And I mean calamity. You see, when people start operating... They start doing things. They start seizing opportunities, but they ignore confirmation. Then there is problems. Problems. You get the cart before the horse. See, I'll give you some examples. Somebody, somebody tells you about an individual who has a financial need or there's a problem or you're in community group and somebody stands up in your community group and says, Hey, you know, I, I'm struggling. I lost my job and I can't pay my power bill. And then what happens, you, the, you jump into action and everybody starts taking up a collection. And you're going to do this and fix this and do this and do this and do this. But has anybody asked the question, is the church already involved in this? You need confirmation. See, before you run off on a tangent, just stop a second and ask a simple question. Because what you don't know is that the church might be five steps ahead of you. And now you're just muddying up the waters. See, good intentions can cause big problems. Just take a second, think it through. See, sometimes... I know you're going to find this hard to believe. Sometimes people ask for help with things that they should be doing themselves. Amen. You know why 
You know why people are reluctant to sometimes... This, people are reluctant to ask for help in places where they know that there's a system in place. See, we'll help you, but we will not enable you. So you need to, you need to check that. And here's what I'm saying, unsolicited. So here's, here's, here's another scenario that's a problem. Sometimes people will... Ask for help with things that they don't need help with. They don't need help. See, sometimes people see a need, and so the way they reject the Holy Spirit is by saying, I, they see the need, and God's calling them to fix it, so they tell somebody else about it. People love to do that. Hey, pastor, do you know? La, 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 la. No, I mean, hold on a second. God showed you that. So my answer is always, oh, yeah, well, why aren't you doing that? Well, I'm telling you. Mm-mm. Tony's got plenty to do. See? So some confirmation. Ask a couple questions. Sort something out. You know, if... If somebody wanders into your community group and says, hey, here's a sign-up sheet for something, before you start signing the sheet, say, does the church know about this? Does, I mean, is there, have we thought this through before we just run off on a tangent? Another thing, quickly, if you suppose you're, you're, you need help with something, Now, Facebook can be a great tool, but it can be a horrible tool. Horrible. So let's suppose you have a need. And you post this need on Facebook. Well, the first thing you should understand is that then people start responding Oh, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that. You realize that you have no reward in that. You realize you've just voided the whole thing out. You got that? You're showboating. So here's what you do. You, if you have a genuine, legitimate thing to, to put on social media, then you say, if you can help with this, message me. And then when somebody helps with it, you post, it's been taken care of, praise God. But if you're genuinely wanting to do something in the body, then you, you, you don't want to be promoting the fact that you're doing it. You see what I'm saying? It's a problem. That, that's, that's soliciting confirmation. That doesn't work. So how do we know what gifts we have? Well, in, in order to, to know... The gifts that we have, we have to know what the gifts are. We have to know a little bit about the gifts. Well, on the next slide, here's the four places in Scripture you're going to find some gift descriptions. You can write that down on your handout if you want to. I put out on the table underneath the monitor over here, this table in the corner, I put a big stack of papers that has a, a general explanation of the general gifts. 
But as I've told you, there, there is no exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. And I don't think anybody is gifted with just one gift. You, you have a gifting. But you should be aware. See, it's important. The main reason you need to know about this, the, all the spiritual gifts is so you can identify them in other people. So you can see those in other people. And you can be able to say, wow, look at that. Look at that gift taking place right there. See, understanding that some gifts are easier to see, like, for example, the gift of service or helps. Those gifts are easier to see because those people, uh, just, they just jump in everywhere and they get great joy from that. And, they, and they, they love to serve and to work. And, to, you know, and so when you go down there to eat your meal and you see Kelly Taylor, for example, she has the spiritual gift of service. When you see her, you thank her and you say, and, and the people that serve down there, that, because they, they get great joy from doing that. And that's a gift on display that we should be grateful for. See, when you go to, to a community group and, and somebody stands up and or somebody's teaching, or if you are in some context and you hear somebody teach, well, the spiritual gift of teaching is evident because when it happens, people learn something. See, there's a lot of people can talk, but you, if, you, if you've been in the presence of the spiritual gift of teaching, then you know because people learn And so, Frank has a spiritual gift of teaching. That's why he goes around to all the community groups. And so when you see that gift, you can be grateful for it. When you, if you have the spiritual gift of exhortation, for example, then, then it's more than just encouraging people, but people get better, people change. When you have that gift, when you, when you counsel people and help people and talk to people, you exhort people, they change, they get better, they grow in their faith. If you have this spiritual gift of giving, then you get joy from that. See, we're all called to give, but people with the spiritual gift of giving, their joy comes from that. When you see the spiritual gift of mercy... It's evident because people who have the spiritual gift of mercy, their heart literally breaks for the things that break the heart of God. And the, and the things that break their heart don't necessarily have to do with them. In other words, they get heartbroken over other people's struggles, but their struggles don't affect them. See, it's different from like being, being heartbroken because you're kids are doing something or heartbroken about your spouse or your best friend or something but people with the spiritual gift of mercy are heartbroken over strangers mary denine has the spiritual gift of mercy right there when you talk to her it's evident that's the spiritual gift of mercy that's what that is the spiritual gift of faith people that have the spiritual gift of faith are are very uh, courageous in things. They, they don't see things as impossible. They're, they're like spiritually, supernaturally optimistic. My daughter Kayla has the spiritual gift of faith. It's so evident in her. I see it all the time. She sees everything as possible. The spiritual gift of evangelism. We're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to evangelize. 
but certain people have a gift in evangelism. The way you know that spiritual gift is working is because when they share the gospel, it's not only clear, but it's also effective. Wade has the spiritual gift of evangelism, and it's very evident. There's a spiritual gift of shepherding that a lot of people get confused about and think that only pastors have the spiritual gift of shepherding. Yes, pastors do have that gift, but it's not just, it's not only pastors. Some of you have the spiritual gift of shepherding. There's women in our church that have the spiritual gift of shepherding. Candy Ferris has the spiritual gift of shepherding. It's a good example. Discernment. Discernment is when you can, you can understand the motives. And so when you're around somebody that has the spiritual gift of discernment, you're always thinking, like, how do they know that? It's like they're reading your mind or something. It's the spiritual gift of discernment. And so on and on it goes. Listen, and then understand, all spiritual gifts are given for the edification of the body, Right? But they're not all used in the context of, they're used in the context of the church, but that, but that doesn't mean they're only used at church. Because we're not only at church. See, we're not only the body when we're here. We're the body wherever we go, right? So there's people in this room that use their spiritual gift. God's given them a spiritual gift and they use it outside the body to strengthen the body on the inside. See, there's people in this room, and what they, God has positioned them to be able to uh, use their spiritual gift to give other people employment. And there's a lot of people in this church that have been changed. Their whole life trajectory has been changed because there's a few people who are in a position to be able to employ whoever they want to, and so they... they do this. They use this ability to be able to give people opportunities and chances that they otherwise wouldn't have. That is an amazing spiritual gift to be able to do that, to be able to, to uh, help people as they uh, are, you know, in a phase of their life where they need help to be able to do that outside of the church because people need help just not when we're together, but all the time, right? Yes. And so that spiritual gift, listen, we have people in this church who who serve the body by whenever somebody in the body gets married, they serve the body and they serve that wedding. You ever notice that? All our weddings is mostly the same people serving at the weddings. They're serving the body. Fixing people's cars. They do that. It edifies the body by helping people when they, when they need help with things that they don't know how to do. There's people who, who use their spiritual giftedness of service to mow people's grass. You don't bring your lawnmower up here on Sunday morning. No. You see? And so all of that, it strengthens the body. It, it makes us all better. Look at verses 6 and following. So then having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So they're given to us in grace. We don't get to pick them. We don't get to choose them. We don't have any say-so about it. Let us use them. See, there's the command. Not, it doesn't say let us find them. It says use them. So if it's prophecy, do it in proportion to faith. If it's ministry, 
Use it in our ministering. If it's teaching, in teaching. If it's exhorting, in exhortation. He who gives, give liberally. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You see? So we come available with a blank check. We, we walk into opportunity without limits. And we recognize that in the context of community, there'll be confirmation as we, as we work side by side, as we see each other, as we relate to one another. We have to, we have to make this part of our common vernacular as we're together that we, we need to confirm what we see in other people. See? Remember last Sunday? Do you remember what Colby did when he started the service? See, I'm just looking around the room. I'm thinking gift, 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 gift. Remember when he started the service? Now, he didn't just start playing and singing. He didn't pray. He talked for a few minutes. And what he said, man, you felt encouraged, didn't you? He used this gift, and he encouraged us before he ever sang a thing. He encouraged us. That's his gift, and he used it. He didn't just say things. Those things he'd thought about, those things meant something to him, and they, and they resonated in our hearts. So how does this finally pull together? Last part, desire. Desire. Then you get to the place where you realize when you start, the final thing that happens is you're in this place where you just love what you're doing and you desire to do more of it. And you That's the final thing. That's at the end of the rainbow. See, God loves people through people. That's how He loves people. God saves people through people. God serves people through people. That's what God does. And so he does that through us. And so ultimately what happens is that as we serve and the lo- as we go along, we start to find this place. And when we find the place where we were made to be, man, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And you just realize, man, this is what God made me for right here. It's what he made me for. So what used to scare me to death, what used to be something that I thought I would be incapable of even doing, now has become something that you can't stop me from doing. I have to do it. It's my most burning desire. See? That, that's, what, that's, what this, that's where you end up. That's where you want to be. When you use your spiritual gift the way God designed you to, you experience this amazing satisfaction. Your, your desire is fulfilled. You realize God really does give us the desires of our heart. You just never realize what your heart truly desires. So really what happens when you're in this journey is you realize you learn what you're, what's true about your heart that you never knew. You didn't know. And a lot of times... I'm not saying that it's always something that it totally catches you off guard because I can't say that. It's, it's not that way. It, it just depends. It just depends. But here's what we know. We know that it's true. We know. We know for sure that all of us, every saved person is a minister. And as a minister, you have an assignment from God. 
And it's according to your giftedness. And this is the way you'll find it, by being available, by walking into opportunity without limitation, and by, by just waiting patiently for confirmation. And so as we, are, as we are developing our spiritual giftedness, as we're moving through this process, we should be on the lookout for people around us. And if you, as I've been talking, have identified, if people have come to your mind that you've seen, that you're thinking, wow, I've seen this spiritual gift in you, you need to tell them that. Tell them that. And so finally, God made me and you to find our highest joy in others seeing Him in us. That is truly our highest joy. See, when other people see God in you, they see God, it is the most encouraging thing in the world. Somebody comes up to you and says, you know, that thing that you did, you didn't think it was that big of a deal, but it meant a lot to me. And let me tell you how it changed my life. There's nothing that I want more for each of us than to experience this. And you can experience this at 13. You can experience this at 30, 60, 90. And understand that, you know, a, a lot of a lot of pain can come when, we, when we, we take matters into our own hands. Or we get tangled up into the, you know, and sometimes we, we, we cause it because we're, you know, we're trying to, to run our own agenda. And sometimes, you know, people, people get badly wounded because they've been, you know, led off in a direction that they... We're never called by God to go. And so, think soberly about yourself. And let's make it a, a, a common practice to speak uh, words of encouragement to each other that we see in one another. And edify and build each other up as we see fit. And a place amazing like this will be even more amazing. Let's stand and bow our heads.